Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. For financial advisors and asset managers, here's a question. Is it time to review modern portfolio theory? Especially given the nature of our markets has changed dramatically since modern portfolio theory became the standard for portfolio diversification. And what about possible policy initiatives like the ESG disclosure requirements from the SEC and the EU and how they could affect global markets? My guest today spends his time figuring out the answers to these questions. Matt Orsog is the Director of Capital Markets Policy at the CFA Institute, and we're going to talk about how these issues could affect the CFA certification and education platform. Hello, Matt, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thanks, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So, Matt, in March of 2021, the CFA Institute launched the first global certificate in ESG investing with the intention of setting the standard that enables investment practitioners to analyze and integrate ESG factors into their daily practice. How's that going? And just as importantly, what should advisors and asset managers be on the lookout for in this certification program during 2022? Sure, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, this started this uh, ESG certification started a couple years back with our uh, UK society, the, the CFA Institute for those uh, who don't know the inner workings of, of, of what we do is I'm part of the, the, the global CFA Institute. I work for the CFA Institute. And then you pass your exam and you get your charter and you join a local society. I right? see. The New York Society is probably the biggest in the world, not surprisingly, and London and Hong Kong and Toronto and Boston and other financial centers around the world all have thousands of, of charter holders who are members of those societies. And this effort started in our UK society, which is, you know, kind of seen as kind of an affiliate, if you will, of uh, CFA Institute, but they do their own thing. And they started out and did this program. Uh, and it was quite successful. It started off just for members in the UK, then it was, they thought, well, this is, we should expand this into Europe. And then it went global. Uh, and they decided that we had a little bit more reaching resources, we being larger CFA Institute to help promote and get this out globally. Uh, I think the trend, the official transition, we're speaking in September, 2021, the official transition to, from the UK running it to the CFA Institute running it was over the summer. In 2021. So now it's something that the CFA Institute is running. Um, I am not part of the uh, of the uh, rollout of, of the program or the or the you know the marketing or controlling the program or running the program. Uh, but they did uh, make the mistake of having me review it uh, before it came out to <laughs> see if, uh, to see if uh, it was up to snuff, I guess. Uh, and I've had the misfortune of you know, going through a number of these uh, ESG certifications over the years and most of them are, are pretty good you know they're di they do different things you know SASB has one that looks more at it, you know, you're using the SASB standards there's a number of different free ones out there as well uh and they had me review this last year when they're looking to, to for CFA Institute to take it over and you know 
you may take this with a grain of salt because I work for Safe Institute, but it's quite good. It's one of the best ones I've seen out there. It's very thorough. Uh, you go through it and, you know, for those who have been punished by taking the CFA exams over the years, it's similar to the rigor of a CFA exam, you know, but concentrating, you know, just on, just on ESG. Uh, it gives you a very broad understanding of, of all things ESG. And as that is a fast changing landscape, you know, it will be evolving over the years and probably quite faster than the CFA exam at large does just because a lot of that stuff doesn't change. The bootstrapping of a bond, you know, hasn't changed for, for a hundred years or so, but this, you know, all things ESG are evolving. So I think you know, from what I've seen, it's, it's been quite useful to a lot of professionals who want to demonstrate their knowledge on ESG. Uh, I think there's been a lot of demand for especially younger folks uh, who in, in the industry who are looking to demonstrate their bona fides, if you will, but I probably, I probably pronounced that wrong, bona fides, of uh, you know, their ESG knowledge. I, you know, I've been doing ESG work for about 20 years or so. And among my compatriots who are, you know, have gray hairs just like me, I don't see a lot of those folks getting their certificate, but I see uptake a lot more from uh, the younger generations. And that makes sense. Uh, so I think it's a, it's, I think it's a, a quite a good product. It does take a bit of dedication and rigor. So know what you're getting into before you get into it. <clears throat> but I think it's a, uh, it's a good resource. It's one of many good resources that are out there around ESG education. Well, thanks very much for that explanation, Matt. And it's interesting that you say that the younger generation of CFA certificates, I, I, I suppose, are more interested in this type of speciality related to ESG investing. And that really brings up nicely the next question that I have for you. In addition to your other responsibilities, you produce and host a CFA-sponsored podcast. It's called The Sustainability Story, and you recently featured a conversation with John Lukomnik. Is that how he pronounces his name? That's right, John Lukomnik. The, the co-author of the book Moving Beyond Modern Portfolio Theory, Investing That Matters. I mentioned this at the top of the program. In that dialogue, you explored with John how one of the major pillars of modern investing and finance, modern portfolio theory, may need to evolve to better take into account the rise of ESG integration and sustainable investing. So if you would, please share a key insight from the dialogue with John that CFA certificates should consider in their daily practice, in addition, of course, to, well, you should get John's book and read it. Yeah, there's there's many avenues to get that information. Probably reading the book is probably the most thorough. Uh, we did a blog summarizing uh, summarizing. We had a kind of conversation with he and his his co-author Jim Hawley in the spring. <clears throat> and as you said, he was our first guest on uh, the Sustainability Story podcast that came out a couple months ago. Uh, I think we're five episodes in, so we have quite a bit of time to catch up to you. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try and stay ahead of you, Matt. If we if if we stay on the air, so to speak, that long, if they let me keep doing it, uh, but yeah, he was. I've known John for a, a long, long time, uh, and I thought he would make a great first guest because uh, they had just come out with the book, and it, it and it you know it, the title says it all. It kind of cha challenges modern portfolio theory, um, you know, MT, but MTP's key tool, you know, diversification, 
works best on more idiosyncratic risk, risk that you can diversify away. But you know, NPT says you can't diversify away systemic risk. Um, and that's a lot of the conversation that's, that's going around the ESG world today. Uh, I would also invite people to look at the, the work of the group, uh, the uh, Investment Integration Project, uh, TIRP. Uh, and they actually came out with a, it's kind of a companion book. They didn't plan it this way, but I think the two books work together. Uh, 21st Century Investing uh, that came out by uh, Steve Leidenberg and Bill Burkhardt. Because they speak, they speak about, and John and Jim Holling talk about in their book, uh, how a lot of discussion around ESG integration and ESG investing these days is about tackling that, those systemic issues. You know, whether it's in the systems that we operate in, you know, whether it's the markets themselves or climate or biodiversity or, or what have you, more investors are looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, how do my investments impact the systems I invest in and the companies I invest in and not just the other way around. And that gets into the, the question of the, the, the uh, issue of double materiality that, it, that is coming up more and more in ESG conversations these days. You know, the analysis we've been doing for decades is how does the environment impact the companies in which I invest? You know, Coca-Cola needs water to make its beverages, for example. Uh, but the double materiality is looking at the other you know, the other arrow going the other way. How do companies impact the systems in which I live and operate, whether that's a governmental system, health system, you know, climate systems, so forth. Uh, and you can see more, you know, take the, take the issue of climate change and more investors be more active. Uh, you know, engine number one, getting board seats at ExxonMobil recently, for example, to push companies to change how they impact those systems. And so, you know, the book challenges the, the notion that you can't really address those systemic risks. Uh, you can. Uh, you generally have to be a very large investor uh, or, or a very determined investor uh, to address those, those systemic risks. And the E, you know, the E and the S and the G of ESG are looking at how, whether it's climate or human capital or a governance issue, uh, how investors are looking at and addressing those systemic risks and so systemic issues in their investments. And a lot of that is through things like engaging with companies. So engagement is one of the primary tools then for the systemic investor. Investor, Could you give us a, 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 our listeners an idea of a, of a system uh, that that would be a part of? You mentioned climate, but are there other types of systems that are much broader than just the companies that are that people invest in those systems through um, how, how does that how does how does that reach beyond the companies themselves well I mean you can think of um, the healthcare system for example and investing in how investing uh, in tobacco companies impacts that right you know you have you know, the the uh, the idea of investing in a tobacco company or a, a cigarette company. Um, as an investor, you can profit from that in the, the revenue of, of the company. But that's, that's product uh, impacts adversely and has negative externalities on the healthcare system, the health system globally and in your, your, your country. You're right. And so as, 
looking at that from a systemic systems point of view uh, and that one issue, you no know, health, take a healthcare system. There's many other issues that you'd have to you know, look at than just that, but that's you know, just taking one, for example, how does uh, efforts to curb smoking impact healthcare systems? I look back to, uh, I was, I was a, a young whippersnapper who was just out of business school and moved to New York City in 1999-2000. And that's when there was still, remember these days, smoking in bars, smoking in restaurants. Yes. Uh, and I remember growing up, you know, as a, as a kid and teenager, teenager, a lot of people around me, not everyone, but a lot of people smoked. Uh, and I remember right after I moved to New York, uh, was, was it, uh, I think it was Bloomberg when he first came in. You know, put together, put put forth the rule, and other other cities were doing it, uh, not allowing smoking in public places, right? Not allowing smoking in bars or or uh, public places or restaurants, and it was you know people were up in arms at the time. Hmm. A, a lot of people, I wasn't because it was nice coming home and not having to wash your clothes. You know, you know, coming home from the bar or the or the restaurant or or anywhere really, and just think about where we are today. And how culture has changed around just that one issue of smoking and how smoking rates have dropped uh, and the health implications of that on the positive side of things. <clears throat> and so that's, you know, that's one issue or that's one system, right? And just one piece of one system. Climate is another one. And, you know, carbon dioxide is the, is the main thing we look at today. But there's also, you know, methane and nitrous oxide and other things that can that contributed to that. You can go larger than climate and look at biodiversity, you know, look at issues of, and they're, they're all interrelated. You know, climate change is related to water and the water cycle. It's related to, you know, food production and, you know, fisheries and all these kinds of things. Uh, and the, in, the investments we have, we make, especially the large investments we make, have impacts on those things. And so take any large system and you can break down. And of course, John, uh, Jim, and then uh, uh, Steve and Bill would probably describe this much more eloquently than I can. But those systems, all you can break down those systems and look at what are the inputs to them from you as an investor and how you impact them, not just the other way around. That's great. Uh, Matt, are you, I like the example that you use because it, it, it leads into my next question for you. Michael Bloomberg uh, created that kind of a regulatory uh, or policy infrastructure for New York City, which I think uh, ended up, uh, I don't know if he, he was the first one, but it end up, ended up um, being implemented all over the country. And today, government regulatory and policy environments regarding ESG investment integration are, to say the least, in flux globally and especially in the U.S. and the EU just now. How flexible does the CFA Institute education platform need to be today as the standard setter for professional excellence and credentials in practice when you're incorporating all of these regulatory and policy infrastructures? Right. The, that's a big challenge for our, our curriculum team. Uh, and I like to, when I'm speaking at a conference or, or, or in public, I always, I often apologize to anyone in the crowd who's had to go through the CFA exam uh, and then say, I'm not, but I'm not responsible. I didn't make the exams. I had to take them. 
but I know the people. I know the people who do, so I can threaten them on your behalf if you want. But uh, but it's it's just a huge undertaking putting to together the curriculum. And I may have these dates not quite right, but it's something like if you sit for an exam in June. Well, now they're offered, you know, in, in not just sitting down with paper and, and pencil, uh, but say, you know, June of next year, first week of June of next year, you're slated to take an exam. That exam was finalized probably about 18 months before you took that exam, right? Because it has to go through, you know, a lot, lots of checks uh, to make sure everything's correct. Uh, and then you get through the production and printing of the exams. Again, again a lot of that's uh, digital now. Uh, and then distribution. And again, a lot of that's it's digital now. Uh, and then all the process of coordinating who's going to take the exams when and then getting it graded. So by the time you, you sit down and take an exam, some time has passed since that exam was written. And, you know, the example I gave before, you know, that that question you get on bootstrapping a bond isn't going to change. But some information about ESG or governance may change, may evolve in that time frame. So our our curriculum people try to keep as up to date as possible. Uh, but you're going to have some lag in what's what's current uh, when the exam was put to bed, so to speak, and when you're taking the exam. So the information on ESG or sustainability or climate, uh, if that's a, you know if that's a question you the exam as well, will be pretty up to date. But it's not going to be cutting you know you know cutting edge, and it's going to be the same with uh, ES, the ESG exam. You know that will be uh, like for example SASB. Uh, merged with uh, to create the Value Reporting Foundation right earlier this year. Well, if that exam was had a reference, and I don't know, I, I haven't looked at the exam, but if there was an exam, a reference to SASB that was written, you know, 18 months before that, you know, the exam was taken, then it's going to be, that reference is going to be slightly out of date. But it's very, you know, as much as up to date as it can be. Uh, and, and especially with things like ESG and uh, cryptocurrency and, and other issues like that that are fast evolving, uh, we try to make sure we're up to date with things like the podcast we do, with things like uh, webinars we do. Uh, we have, uh, I wrote a report last year on, on climate change, climate change investing uh, and climate change analysis in the investment process. And we're adding case studies to that each year as kind of the continuing education. Uh, and we're actually, we, one just came out today and we're, we'll be doing a webinar on it uh, later this week as kind of continuing education to make sure we're always trying to update, you know, update things so we can be as current as we can. Good. And Matt, we have a, we have a, a few more minutes left in today's program. And uh, I'd like to ask you two more questions. One, uh, the first is, in our prep conversation for today's program, you mentioned that investors and their advisors need to be careful about explicit and implicit overpromising related to ESG investment integration. Can you give us an example of each type of pitfall in this area? Yeah, we could we could talk about this for hours, and I think we almost I almost did last time when we were in our prep conversation. <laughs> I have to apologize for how thrown down on about that. But I think that, that, you know, that's a big issue is the greenwashing around ESG uh, mm. products. Uh, and I say implicit and explicit because sometimes it's, 
you know, a product ESG is, is hot right now in the investing world. You know, people want to, you know, the phrase is, you know, do well by doing good, you know, invest in something they believe is cutting carbon emissions or, you know, for a long time, uh, some, some SRI, socially responsible investing funds would, you know, steer clear of, uh, alcohol, tobacco, pornography, those kind of things. And so people wouldn't want to invest in things, you know, have a negative screen on things. And so ESG has become quite popular in the past couple of years. And there's not much regulation around what needs to be in a fund if you call something sustainable or ESG. Now that's changing. Uh, the, uh, the European Union is putting out uh, regulation around that. Uh, the CFS is putting out a, a voluntary standard that I think is supposed to be finalized. Uh, the, the final draft of it, I think, is coming out next month. Uh, but it's still a little bit of the Wild West with products out there. So, you know, whether it's grandma buying an ESG fund or it's, you know, the biggest investors in the world hiring a portfolio manager, uh, the advertising around what is green and what is not isn't always the best. Uh, and a, a fund that maybe unperformed last year, maybe just renamed ESG this year. And then all of a sudden it gets a lot more people buying it. And so it's a buyer beware situation a lot of the times. Kind of the, the old adage from the 80s, uh, from the nuclear disarmament talks, trust but verify. You know, do your homework on, you, you may have to read that damn prospectus that no one reads uh, from from your fund to make sure they really under you really understand what you're investing in and i think the first step for everyone is what do you want to invest in is it a low carbon fund or is it something broader than that or something different than that that's one of the challenges of esg or sustainable investing is there's no real one definition that works for everyone so know know thyself first you know know what you're looking for and then find the fund that you think uh jives with that but then you have to do your homework to make sure that it does and then I say implicit promises in that, you know, uh, well, I guess these are explicit promises too, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, businesses uh, making net zero 2050 promises right now. And you know, we will be carbon neutral by 2050. Well, think about it. That's you know, 29 years away. How many of the people making those promises today are going to be in those positions in 29 years? much less alive in 25 years or 29 years, not many of them. So those promises are very easy to make. And kind of the implicit part of that is kind of going along with that. Oh, so-and-so made, made a net zero promise. Isn't that great? You know, well, there needs to be a little bit of something behind that. You know, how are you getting to net zero at 2050? Whether you're a utility or a bank or a software company or a beverage company or, or whatever it may be. Uh, there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of talk recently uh, in the, the Northeast societies at CF Institute an event last month on the issue of plastics. You know, plastics is another environmental issue that's big. I was reading a report uh, last week uh, and, and there was a very depressing graphic about you know, the, the, the shelf life of all these plastics that we use. And it gets into thousands, the thousands of years uh, in a lot of these things. And so that's that's another thing, you know, I've, saw, I've seen more and more companies saying they're moving away from plastic. Uh, and so make sure what the, what the promise is, an issue like plastics or climate or the products that say they're an ESG fund or 
or an ESG ETF, uh, make sure that they're they're walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Okay. So, Matt, we've got about 90 seconds left in today's program. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk very briefly about tools, new technology tools like artificial intelligence and machine learning that are growing fast in the analytics side of the ESG investment world to complement traditional corporate balance sheet analysis. How valuable are these technology tools to capital markets policy development at the CFA Institute today? And how valuable can they be to you going forward? I think like any tool, I think it, it's good. We only have a minute left because I think this is a very succinct answer, unlike my other answers, uh, is that, you know, it depends on the input you put into them. You know, it's a garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. If you, they can be fantastic tools if you have good information, and that's a big issue in the ESG world right now is the data. Uh, it's interesting that the SCC and the IFRS Foundation are both supposed to come out with guidance on disclosures in, a, in the coming month or two before COP26. Not surprisingly, uh, and we'll see if those if those disclosures help things. But like anything, it's it's the information you put into a tool, the work you put into a tool, that makes it useful or not. Not necessarily tool itself, but they can be very powerful tools. Great. So, Matt, how can our listeners get in touch with you or other parts of the CFA Institute to find out more about what you're doing uh, in the capital markets uh, policy area, as well as about certification uh, for, for, a C, for a CFA. And are there websites and uh, places that they can reach out to? Sure, I'm, I'm very Googleable. I'm uh, the only Matt Orsog on earth as far as I know. Uh, so I can't hide from you if you're looking for me. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can also email me at just uh, Matt, M-A-T-T dot O-R-S-A-G-H at cfainstitute.org. Uh, so, like I said, you can track me down pretty easily if you want to. If you want to bother me, I'm happy to happy to happy to talk. Great. Well, thanks again, Matt Orsog, Director of Capital Markets Policy for the CFA Institute. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Oh,